I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Why is Hillary Clinton not the first woman president? Many people, political types, historians, and sociologists will consider that question for many years to come. But besides Hillary Clinton herself, the people who surely must think about it most are the ones who worked with her for years and during the campaign. Jennifer Palmieri is one of them. You may know, Palmieri was director of communications for Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. Previously, she served as President Obama's White House Director of Communications, National Press Secretary for the 2004 John Edwards presidential campaign, and for the Democratic National Committee in 2002. She also was Deputy White House Press Secretary under Bill Clinton. That's quite a history in politics, but the new book Jennifer has written is not strictly political. Instead, she's written, based on the campaign certainly, a compelling and important reflection on the future. And it's excellent. The book is Dear Madam President, an open letter to the women who will run the world. And it's already a New York Times bestseller. Palmieri wrote it in the form of a letter addressed to the future first woman president, whoever she may be. Palmieri considers it all, history, gender bias, campaign mistakes, Donald Trump, and offers advice to the girls and women who, as she puts it, will run the world. Why is this book breaking through? There's no bitterness. More importantly, it's incredibly reflective. Palmieri writes not only about political life, but also what she's learned through death, specifically her sister Dana and her friend and wife of her former boss, Elizabeth Edwards. In a time of Me Too and even Enough is Enough, the result is a really thoughtful story that captures our times and provides clear insights about the future. But before I begin my conversation with Jennifer, I want to tell you about our show's sponsor, The Cook Political Report. What's the state of that blue wave? What about other issues like tariffs, immigration, and guns? And what's the latest with congressional map drawing? People who want to stay ahead of the curve turn to the Cook Political Report, and with good reason. For 30 years, the report has nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News's Bob Schieffer called it the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver noted, few political analysts have a longer track record of success than the tight-knit team that runs the Cook Political Report. Little wonder the New York Times called it, quote, a newsletter that both parties regard as authoritative. People who make it their business to know politics make it their business to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Just go to cookpolitical.com to sign up. That's cookpolitical.com and one more item before we begin. Thank you to everyone who takes the time to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It makes a big difference, and I'm really grateful. So if you like these conversations, you know my ask. I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to iTunes, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. As always, of course, if you don't like the conversations, well, thanks for still listening, but please just forget that whole rate and review thing. Okay, that's it. Here's my conversation with Jennifer Palmieri. Jennifer, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. I'm really happy to be with you. New York Times bestseller. Congratulations. That's a uh, <laughs> that's a massive deal. I know. It's a big deal. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing. So to be clear, New York Times bestseller, is, is it a – did you write a book or a letter? It's structured like a letter. It's very dense. I mean, I think it's, it's easy to get through. And it's, uh, you know, it only takes just a couple of hours. It's dense like a letter would be. It's chock full of 
advice and recommendations and observations without too much buildup because I wanted people to read this, be able to do it relatively quickly and share. So like, this is my experience and this is what I, what I see as the possibilities for women now, and then have people conclude, you know, what does that mean for them? And so you read this, you can do it in a couple of hours and then you can reflect, you know, how, what are the changes in your own life that it might spur for you? And I wanted to write it as addressed to um, a female president because I wanted every girl, because uh, I do hope you know, young girls in high school and maybe just starting out in college will read it too, to think that whatever they dream is possible has already happened, you know? So, and then that might just reorient your thinking into what, what you can do if you, if you, if you, if your assumption going is in is I can do whatever I want. It, it does uh, reorient one's thinking and it, and the tone certainly comes across just as you described. I mean, it, it, it reads like a letter um, as uh, perhaps not the target, the exact target audience that you just specified, though I hope I'm, you know, part of mm-hmm. the overall target audience. Um, it had mm-hmm. no, uh, it read like a letter. It had no aloofness. It wrote, it, it read like a personal letter that I kind of happened to get my hands on. Um, and, you know, <laughs> and, and was reading. Um, so you, you just described the audience, um, or, you know, or, or one of your audiences or maybe your primary mm-hmm. audience. Was there, a person in mind? I mean, obviously, it's future Madam President, but it felt so personal, not just in terms of your own experiences, but it kind of in terms of you were talking directly to a person. Was there, you know, I, I could almost have imagined. Yeah. That, yeah. Was there a person, a specific person in mind? There was. I mean, there was, I, I do, I guess, about the, on the question of the first one president, I, I um, I think that could happen in 2020. You know, I don't think that has to be far out. So, um, but I didn't have a specific candidate in mind. I did. There were a few people in my life that I held in my head as I wrote the letter. So it wasn't just one person. It, there's like, you know, um, women of the baby boomer generation, and there's particular women that I saw like blaze trails, and I like wanted. I wanted them to recognize themselves in this book. There's all these women, you know, middle-aged moms, maybe kids, empty nesters, kids have just gone after college um, and understand that there's something new and exciting that they want to do with their life. And they're getting involved in like politics in their communities in ways they've never done before. They're making a real difference. And I wanted them to see themselves in here. And there's young women that I've worked with in the Obama White House and the Clinton campaign who, you know, I would mentor, advise them, tell them it's okay to cry, tell them uh, to speak up. And I had them in my head, too. And then, you know, uh, women in college, you know, so it was like there's sort of a composite of these different individuals that I that I did that I think maybe was why I was able to be so personal, because I really wanted them to see themselves reflected in this and know that they matter. Um, and, you know, so I think, you know, I, I did one interview where a woman said she felt like there was lessons in here from women age 11 to 70, which is like, you know, great. Cause that's what I was trying to go for. Yeah. Well, it, it, it did. And, and as you've surely noticed, I mean, it's clearly kind of captured 
a moment. Um, and I was trying to think about that. And, I, you know, it was, you know, from yeah. your, your advice to go ahead and cry, you just mentioned that to allowing your heart. To, and not, you know, I know that's yeah. gotten a, a bunch of coverage and maybe more than it should, because it also aligned mm-hmm. with your point to, you know, allow your heart to influence decisions, which you trace to, you know, as much to Hillary Clinton as to Barack Obama, you know, in, in the mm-hmm. book, um, to your personal ability. And this hit me to be incredibly present, you personally, um, when people you loved were um, dying, you know, and going through the yeah. hardest time. That you, you've, you've hit on something that goes beyond politics um, or just a campaign post-mortem. And so, you know, was that the plan? I kind of expect it might not have been, but I'll let you answer the question. And, and <laughs> yeah. d- does that surprise you? It does. It's, it's a, I surprise. And I'll tell you, I think that this is, I think this is the moment that I'm tapping into that really intrigued me early on, you know, after getting, you know, being so devastated that we lost, which was women could have felt after, you know, if you didn't support Trump, he wins and you had a choice. You could either feel just crushed, right? And that, wow, this is like, and believe this is the kind of guy who wins in America or, or think, wow, him him winning is the is the validation and the proof that I need that we are playing by the wrong set of rules. And all the doubts that I've had in my mind about how maybe I'm being held back and I don't quite fit in and, you know, things just don't seem quite right to me. You were right to believe that. And so now women saying, like, we're not we're going to make a we're making our own set of rules. I'm not waiting till I have the perfect resume to run for office. I'm going to do it now. Um, you know, as an as an example, I think Me Too movement is part of that. I think uh, the Women's March is part of that. I think the reaction to Parkland, you know, beyond women, women, students, men, is 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 people thinking, um, I'm cra- I'm making my own set of rules here. And I feel that that's sort of this, you know, I, when I talk to women about this and I describe how I felt the morning after the election and how devastated it was, and I literally felt like I woke up into a different universe. Um, I just see a lot of heads nodding and saying, but instead of feeling devastated, I felt empowered. And that, um, and, and that's what I think lots of people, you know, just millions and millions of women in America feel now. And I didn't want to write a normal political book. I, I had a sense that I'd seen the way I thought about it initially was I've seen a lot of women do hard things. Um, from Hillary to my sister Dana to my friend Elizabeth Edwards, you know, and I've been through a lot of hard things. And I wanted a book that transcended politics to say how, based on those lessons and sort of the obstacles I saw Hillary face in this new moment of empowerment that we're in now, you know, how you might imagine women operating in a different way. But it's, you know, I do hope people... (laughs) At a, at a meta level, look at it and say, wow, here's a book where there's no news, like literally no news. <laughs> there's no gossip. There's no backstabbing. Uh, it's not political. And it's a New York Times bestseller. Like, you can do that. It's, I think that people want something inspiring now. It, it, it is pretty meta in, in that sense. And, and it's very forward-looking. So on the forward-looking front, because I do – I do have a couple of the typical political questions to to ask you. Yeah, and and look, you, you know, you, you look I still like politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Good. You haven't sworn it politics. off totally. The, 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 mm-hmm. 
I found myself wondering, so the Me Too movement, the Women's March movement, even to, to some extent, uh, you, you mentioned at the, you know, post Parkland, um, environment and, you know, frankly, a person like, uh, Emma Gonzalez, who we, you know, mm-hmm. we're all just so incredibly inspired by. Um, would, would the Me Too, would the Me Too movement have existed? Would this stuff have existed if Hillary had won? You know, so the real answer is we don't know, right? That's yeah. the honest answer. Um, if you, just, you just can't ever imagine what that parallel universe was. And I do feel a lot of this was, um, you know, it, it, this sort of reckoning that we're having now. Um, it felt like that was that was definitely building during the campaign, too. But I really I do think that Trump election uh, hastened it at a minimum. And I think it's a uh, uh, it sort of laid bare that there well there are <laughs> there really are men like that <laughs> that in the world. Um, there really are men that say things as appalling as he said on the Access Hollywood tape. That really does still exist, and it's so clearly wrong, and it's so clearly not what the huge majority of men in America feel and do, and it's unfair to them too for this for this perception to exist that uh, that people do, that men do behave like Donald Trump, that I think everybody just felt this force that, like, we are going to out those who do and make sure that women understand that this is not something to be, women and men both understand that it's not something to be tolerated. So I really, you know, he had a big impact there. I loved that word. You just used it again in that in this sentence, and it it resonated with me in the reading. Um, reckoning. Oh. You you you, yeah. you. I mean, you you characterize. You know, the 2016 election meant that America um, was going to have a. It, it was America's reckoning. I've I've got the exact line written here in my notes someplace. Um, w- what did you mean by that? It felt to me that, and I saw, you know, every day on the campaign trail from March of 2015 to the end, you saw something that told you Donald Trump could win. You know, you saw something that showed you that there was enormous disaffection in America. And what it felt to me as if um, after going through enormous change, um, you know, two decades of disruption, 9-11, two wars, the housing crisis, the Great Recession, uh, wages not growing, um, you know, the weight, the wealth gap uh, growing, huge demographic changes. It just, um, there had been these frustrations that were roiling under the surface and they came and they just, and they came bursting out in, in 2016. Um, and it was, you know, you saw it with Black Lives Matters protesters who, you know, or, you know, have very deep frustrations and disappointment. Um, and you see it with dreamers who have very deep frustrations and disappointment that, you know, they love this country as much as any citizen. They really want to be a citizen. They're trying to do everything they can to, and they're being shut out. You see it with, um, you know, Hillary met with this, with a coal miner in West Virginia that was having, you know, extraordinary difficulty in his life because the life that he had, had expected and in some ways was promised didn't come to bear. And it's so um, the the one reassuring thread I can, because I'm always looking for, you know, I'm going to assume that America's going to come out of this stronger. So if you assume that, you expect that to happen, you know, you got, you got to look for where, where the commonality exists that we can build on. And I think that is that all of these people 
think America should be better than it is now, um, that it's not living up to its best ideals. Um, and that is what I think that we have to build on. But this, you know, the I write in the book about how both the Clintons early on in the fall of 2015 sort of saw this disaffection and really troubled by it because it was not like anything they had seen before. Um, and they suggested that we all read a book that I would suggest um, your audience uh, uh, read too. It's called True Believer. It was written by Eric Hoffer in the 1950s. And it's about the rise of authoritarian leaders and mass movements um, and how at times like this where there's extraordinary frustration in a society, a society can be um, uh, can be vulnerable to a leader who sounded who sounded a lot like Trump, um, uh, where people are looking for some sort of reflected glory uh, in the story that that person may tell about the about yeah. frustration. Um, and so I think it's a really important moment in the country. I'm still optimistic that we're going to come out of it stronger, but we got to start looking for those where we have these bonds of commonality. Yeah, I, I took a note to myself uh, when you mentioned that book in in your book. But just just to be clear, you don't object if people read your book first, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> Thank you for bringing it back. Yeah, uh, you know, look, yeah, you're correct. Yeah, I do. We, we I, could, think, I think mine is more is more entertaining and uh, useful in this moment. But it's also... A, but there, you know, it's just... It really... I read it during the campaign and it, and it made me see things in a different way. Yeah, no, it, it looks... And, and look, authoritarianism and questions of uh, the stability of democracy... Um, are, you know, on all of our minds, per, you know, speaking for myself, it's something I'm thinking about uh, a great deal. And I think that you, you that, uh, that thread, you, you, it's, you might be the first I've read, maybe I've just forgotten about it, but, but that, that connection that you identified, um, uh, you know, between the two sides that each of them are wanting or expecting America to be better than it is in their own eyes. Um, that that was, I, I thought, a a helpful connection. Um, getting yeah. so getting back and and the interpretations of things because I also noted, you know, when when uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton said that about their interpretation of Trump, I think that I don't know if that was uh, I think it was fall of 2015. You just said I think you guys were at the, the uh, Doral. Yeah. Was that when it was fall of 2015? Mm-hmm. It was the the the. Uh, the, the observation tying what was happening in America, you know, bringing up true believer, that was after, that was in February 16 after we lost New Hampshire. February 16. Okay. Um, but if, yeah. am I right? Was it you guys were though back again at the Doral Arrowwood yeah. mm-hmm. and, and yeah, the, fabulous, some, the fabulous Doral? Yes. Yeah. yeah doing some, <laughs> some debate. So you didn't believe you, you're very honest in, in the book, very direct um, in your own self evaluation. Mm-hmm. You've obviously been, spent a great deal of time doing, you know, your own reflections. And so you didn't believe uh, um, the Clintons in that interpretation. And and there's another aspect as well I wanted to ask you about. So you write at the beginning, um, I didn't, and you're not alone in this, by the way, so which among the reasons I want to ask you about it. Um, I didn't think, this is you, I didn't think it mattered that Hillary Clinton was a woman. I just thought that she was the best person for the job. I didn't see all the complexities inherent in the task of electing the first woman president worse. I did didn't see the new possibilities having a woman in the Oval Office would open up. Um, why did you miss that? Why did others miss that? Were you know w- was were we naive? Were people who felt that 
Is it not, why why did that get missed? I think there's a lack of uh, historic perspective about what a big deal it really was. You know, I've um, and you know, I think for my generation, um, I'm 51, so I've been in the workplace for you know 20 plus years, and it wasn't. And I've had extraordinary opportunity. I've had a lot of great, um, you know, men and women both that have mentored me and helped me. I've always felt like I could do any job that a man could do. And so I sort of lived my life thinking that women and men had reached equality. There were still, you know, there were still some barriers. There were still kinks to be worked out. But it didn't seem like that big of a deal for a woman to be um, president and to be in charge. I thought that it was, you know, we were on track that would happen at some point and it was probably going to be Hillary. I thought she'd be really great at the job and that's good. I think when you step back from the scope of human history, you understand for a woman to be in charge is a radical thing. It's a very radical thing. And, um, we've only had the right to vote. Women have only had the right to vote um, in this country for less than 100 years. For more than half of our, this country's existence, women did not have the right to vote. Hillary's mother was born on the day Congress gave final approval to the right to vote. You know, like not her great grandmother, not her grandmother. So even though we have made extraordinary gains in the last 100 years, um, it's still a, a, a radical change. And I think that the way that manifests itself and the way I saw it revealed in the campaign is this unease with a woman seeking power. Um, you know, uh, 10 years ago when Hillary ran for president the first time in 2008, there was still questions about uh, if we, women, if people, you know, actually men and women both, because gender bias isn't gender bias. Um, believe that a woman could do the job, right? Um, is she, you know, capable of doing it? Is she capable of being commander in chief? And she wrestled with those questions in eight. And by the time we got to 16, that wasn't a question. You know, people, whether they support her or not, thought she was capable, thought she could be a good commander in chief. She could do the job. So that's progress. But, you know, where it revealed itself and it's so tricky because um, you really have to try to decipher what's really going on in people's minds. It's like when you hear things, you hear them say things about Hillary, like, you know, there's just something about her I just don't like. There's just something about her I just don't trust. And you can't quite put your finger on it. And, you know, this is why I think emails are such a big deal because it really got to the, the underlying question really was about her motivation in doing this. It's like, well, why did she do it? I'm suspicious of her. And that's what's so hard to get over and around in people's minds because it's still a, a new thing. Um, and that's what I, you know, it's very deep. Um, and it's hard to, uh, you know, it took me many months to kind of get what I, what I now see as what was happening to her and why it's so easy to vilify her. And I just hadn't appreciated that going in. And on those points, on, on some of the things that you raised, the email servers mm-hmm. um, and other right. you know items that many people interpret as self-inflicted wounds, um, and and the, <laughs> the the sense of her in yeah. you know like it, you do connect it much more to gender bias than to yeah. something about Hillary herself. Is that I really believe this? Yeah, yeah. It, it, talk to me about that because I, I think that's a point that a lot of people obviously would disagree. 
people who yeah. might not have considered it from the perspective that you have might feel like, well, wait a minute, that's not necessarily gender bias. That's a person who doesn't feel completely transparent and feels like she's hiding something. So talk, talk to me I about know. that. And, and, and yeah, so and what I say, what I want, what I say with like all sorts of love and kindness and compassion in my heart is listen to yourself, listen to the things you are saying about her, you know, I think, here's the thing, she makes mistakes, she's a flawed person, all candidates are, I think any man would have overcome those mistakes. And what, you know, I would say to people during the campaign about the, about emails is let's, let's, you know, because the first questions are, well, why did she have a personal email account? It's like, well, she, it was like more convenient for her. Why did she use a personal, why did she use a server that's so sketchy that she had her own server? It's like, well, her husband's a former president of the United States. He had a server that gave him his own, the government gave him his own server for security reasons. If your spouse had a server, you would probably use it too. Um, and then it's, well, she needs to say it's a mistake. Well, she says it's a mistake. She needs to apologize. Well, she apologizes. It's like still not enough. And the underlying question is like, why did she really do it? And I would say to the press, like, imagine the roles reversed and this is President Obama. President Obama, that Hillary won in eight, she's president, he's secretary of state, he's got a personal email. Like, would you, would you be as suspicious? Well, no. Well, why? Well, because she always does it. She's doing it again. There's just always something with her. And I'm, you know, it's like, listen to yourself. She's doing it again. <laughs> There's just always something with it. What is it? What? It's like, well, she's just always like, you guys think, listen to what you're saying. It's just underneath it, you're suspicious of her. You're suspicious of her motivation. And you're all, and the, and the only way you're building on your suspicion is by going back to older suspicions about her. And there's not anything underneath it. And, I think that that is, you know, it's like that is what's at, what is at the crux of this is there's just something about her. And I went, you know, during, during the 2016 campaign, I went back and watched interviews of her and about her from the 92 campaign. Hmm. And during, they did, yeah, it was really amazing yeah. thing to do. Because first of all, it's a, it's a little sad because she's so fearless in her interviews. Hmm. Um, and she, She's uh, no Tammy, why not? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, she was not just going to stand by her man's and yeah. didn't stay home and bake cookies and all yeah. that. So they asked people, they did like some man on the street, women on the street interviews. And these people weren't mean-spirited or nasty or they just, you know, but they said, what do you think about Bill Clinton's life? And it's like, you know, I don't know. There's just, there's just something about her I just don't like. I don't know. There's just something about her I just don't trust. And it was a very liberating moment for me because I thought, I am not solving this problem. We are not solving this problem in six months, right? This is not, this is not something she, that individual, that is Hillary Rodden Clinton, can fix now. Uh, this is about, you know, Hillary has just always, you know, and this is true for a lot of women from her generation, she's just always been stepping a little bit outside of the role a woman usually plays or has, you know, traditionally played. You know, that goes back from when she was a, she gave her first commencement, she gave a commencement address at her college and she had this very challenging 
speech and she ended up on the cover of Life magazine as like the say the female face of the baby boomer generation. And then, you know, her, you know, she didn't stay home bake cookies. She made more money than her husband. She didn't change her name. Then as the first lady working on policy, right? She's always and it doesn't mean that everybody wants to hold her back or wants to hold women back or is sexist. It's like there's something about her that has always vexed us, has always confounded us. Yeah. And we just don't know what to make of her. And I think emails is how that, you know, revealed, manifested itself most um, vividly yeah. <laughs> in the campaign. And, and, and I just really believe in this. I just think people should, and I, you know, I, I'm not going to like, you know, we're not going to solve this with one book. I just, I want women candidates, women thinking power, women, you know, everyone in the world should just like read that and think about it, consider their own questions and listen to what they say, you know, what, what the things that are coming out of their own mouth. And like, where does that, where does that come from for you? Well, and Cause I just think it's not on the level. And I th- one of the points I took from your book and, and the explanations I think for it, I think that you give and, and why I think you have mm-hmm. optimism going forward is you, you point to a dearth of stories historically that to be able to put the things that Hillary Clinton or any woman seeking power mm-hmm. or any woman with ambition uh, to, to put those into context. And so whereas yeah. a Barack Obama overcame an incredible, you know, the, a, the, the horrendous American stain of racism, um, there were right. aspects being, I think, being male, and, and you paraphrase it. You know, I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing what what I took from from reading, but that mm-hmm. that yep. you know there there was historical context, even though he came, overcame the most horrendous historical context. So so I guess talk to me about yeah. that. One was it that that lack of historical context, and then you know sexism, gender bias, racism. I mean, they're they're all terrible, and they're all different. They're all unique. Right. Um, and, and so h- how do you kind of reconcile overcoming one and not the other and then the, the lack of um, mm-hmm. historical context? Sorry, kind of a convoluted question. but Yeah, but- it is like, well, yeah, that, that I think that the chapter that you're talking about, that I call um, her story. Yeah. Um, because and it's about and, you know, it starts with the line that the future is female. The past was, too. It's just no one thought it was important enough to write it all down. Um, because it's not, you know, it's not as if women haven't been in America all along contributing, but there's just no record of it. And I think that how I first started to appreciate this was when in the campaign, Hillary, we're trying to decide where Hillary should make her big first, like official announcement, like her big formal lunch. And, um, I was talking about going to, you know, I was suggesting we go back to some places from her childhood. And she said, she didn't think she should do that, that she needed to, sort of cloak herself in the history of the country so there's something for people to relate to with her. Um, Cause she didn't think that she had an interesting story, her, her own personal story. She thought was not interesting. She said, you know, my husband has a story. President Obama has a story. I don't have a story. And which seems crazy given how, what a historic figure she has been. But I, I kind of got what she meant. And I think it's that we want our president own lives to reflect the American dream or sort of classic elements of the American story that's like in our canyon canon of like of stories that we love and treasure in America. So President Clinton, you can see he's the man from hope. He pulled himself up from his bootstraps, yeah. you know, smart, you know, new generation. 
Um, and we like that. That's, that's a classic American story. And then Barack Hussein Obama, you know, who's a, a black man in America, that is, that was a, you know, as you know, that's like a big leap overcoming the stain of slavery and, and, and racism. I shouldn't say overcoming racism, but yeah. dealing, you know, uh, making progress. Um, and, but he told us a story about America that we love and that we believe in, that we're not red states or blue states, we're United States. And his election represented a fulfillment of a promise of equality in America, and it made us all really proud. Um, and there's just not that story that exists for women. And this is not unique to Hillary. Most women candidates, if you talk to places like Emily's List that help or Emerge that help women um, run, uh, for office, they think that they, they always think they're put, they're in, their own bio is not interesting. And I, I think it's because we haven't like upheld that, um, you know, the founding documents were all written by men. The most laws, state constitutions, plays, novels, movies, television shows, like it, I just think it matters. And this, these are these ways that it reveals ourselves. And I think that, um, you know, it's great. Even in the media, a lot of women um, just starting their own thing. Um, I see women's, women's magazines are covering politics and engagement ways they never have before. And great new voices are, are rising there, too. But this is a I think it's a pretty uh, it's a big deal that we haven't had those stories about women um, not certainly in the, the manner in which we have with men for the last, you know, 240 years of our country. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to think about there and you certainly, um, document quite, quite a bit of it. Um, to, to close out, I have two, two questions on my mind. Um, one, one about you and, and one about, uh, the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, you, I, you know, I, I want to talk about this line that you write after absorbing the Elizabeth Edwards lesson, um, of wiping the chalkboard clean. I really can't emphasize enough the the, the, being present component that you characterize about your time with your sister and with Elizabeth Edwards um, was really, really powerful. And I would say, you know, for folks who want to learn and do some reflection, those aspects, you know, transcend politics, obviously. Um, and it was a whole separate parallel topic that uh, really resonated. Um, but anyhow, the, this line, this Elizabeth Edwards line, um, it's not about making sure your life is rewarding. It's about making sure your life matters. Um, that right. line looked to me like it was as written as much for your past self um, <laughs> as it is for the first Madam President. Uh, did I get that right? Right. You're right. Yes, you're right. You're right. It's um, – because it just – I think um, – my sister's illness and the uh, election laws, you just, you know, just reaffirms what we should all understand is how little is in your control. And also, I think I've just learned how much um, value I derive, not from necessarily accomplishing a particular outcome, but I derive value from putting a really good effort into something I believe is important. And even if you don't succeed or, you know, you don't achieve the outcome that you want, you know, your sister doesn't, um, <clears throat> isn't cured, your candidate doesn't win, uh, you can't bring your son back 
uh, you know, the three examples for Elizabeth, myself, and my sister. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that, but what you can do is put real effort into something that is important to you and make a difference for the people that are in your, in your life. And that matters. And, you know, I also use other examples about uh, one parent that I got to know from Newtown, Mark Barton, who lost his son, Daniel, who he continues to work every day for Sandy Hook's promise. So he continues to make his own life matter and Daniel's life matter, even though they had this, you know, he had such devastation. The Mothers of the Movement yeah. um, is another example that I use. And that is something everyone can do. You don't have to, um, uh, you don't have to win in order to succeed. And uh, looking forward, lastly, you write, mm-hmm. uh, the rebirth will come from the ground up or it won't come <laughs> at all. Um, do, right. do you see the rebirth, um, or does that still require a little bit more time? I see. I mean, I, I do. I mean, I do see. I mean, it's been. I you know, I turned that first draft of that book in and on Thanksgiving Day. So, in the almost six months since then, right? Almost, yeah, yeah, yeah. just yeah. about. Like it's remarkable what's happened uh, in the country. Uh, you know, the, the the march for life around guns is a good example. Uh, more election, vict- you know, more electoral victories. And not not that I'm being partisan about it, but just, you know, when 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 Democrats win in places they don't normally do, it's like a re- it's people saying I'm going to stand up and say, you know, this is about. I think it's a reaction to Trump, and that shows engagement in news plays. So I feel that it is that is happening um, and we have to sustain it and build on it. But I feel pretty optimistic. It's a lot of hard work, you know, and you can't take it for granted, but I feel optimistic. Uh, Terrific. Well, that's how, that's how the book reads. It reads uh, optimistically and uh, forward looking. And thank you. Thank you uh, for your time. And uh, thank you for what you, what you wrote. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. That was my conversation with Jennifer Palmieri. I hope you could tell I really liked the book. It's about so much more than politics. And the lessons she took from her time with her sister and Elizabeth Edwards are worth the price of admission alone. My thanks to Jennifer for the conversation and you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. I'll talk with you soon.